Something that we weren't exactly expecting happened. We were able to measure this. We found that depression improved, anxiety improved. Other researchers have looked into the same phenomenon. They found that for whatever reason, when people's diets are plant-based, their moods seem to improve. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 130 countries. South Africa, Colombia, Singapore, and all places in between. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 19 of season 5, number 318 overall. So, you had a bad day. That's okay, because today we will be talking about foods that can make you happy. We will be answering the question, is it possible to eat your way out of a depression and improve your mood? Well, here with us today to clue us in are Dr. Neil Barnard and Dr. Josh Cullimore. And this is what we're going to be examining the foods that can make you happy, and whether eating your feelings with junk food can actually make you even more depressed, whether happiness can be found in a cup of coffee, and will sugar give you a reason to smile. And of course, with this being the exam room live, we're also opening up the doctor's mailbag to hit on a little bit of everything else. We have questions about dried fruit. We also have a follow-up to last week's discussion about dairy and whether raw milk is a healthier option than the pasteurized versions that you see sold in stores. TMAO, that is also up for discussion. And what could cause someone's level to go up if they're eating a plant-based diet? And then from the looks department, we'll be talking about hair loss and whether a supplement might be in order if you're eating a vegan diet. All of that plus a lot more. But before we open up the doctor's mailbag, I want to say a huge thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Their support of the exam room live and the physicians committee is helping to raise our health IQs and makes this episode possible. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the physicians committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and all also benefit people. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, spelled R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. Time now to get the feels with food. What menu will make you smile? Let's find out on The Exam Room Live. Gentlemen, thank you both so very much for being here today. Hi there, Chuck. So glad to be here. Great to see you both. Dr. Barnard, I want to start with you and this question from Serena. Serena is wondering flat out, what foods can make you happy? You know, it's an interesting an, an, an interesting question and an important one. And it's one that we stumbled upon really by accident. We were doing a study a number of years ago with Geico. the the car insurance company, because we had done some studies showing that a plant-based diet, a vegan diet, could help people lose weight and tackle their diabetes. And so our friends at Geico, whose national headquarters is just about three blocks that way from our office, they said, let's do a study here. And we did. And Geico employees, uh, as part of a clinical trial, went on a completely low-fat vegan diet. And exactly what you'd think 
would happen happened, which is that they lost weight and their cholesterol's improved and their blood pressure came down and all these things, which you would expect. But something that we weren't exactly expecting happened too, and that's that their moods got better. And we, we were able to measure this using specialized uh, uh, validated paper and pencil psychological tests. And we found that depression specifically improved, anxiety improved, and job absenteeism improved. In other words, people were able to work and not be home. And so uh, other researchers have looked into the same phenomenon. They found that for whatever reason, when people's diets are plant-based, they get away from the meat, the dairy, the greasy stuff, their moods seem to improve. So the reason we think that this is doing it is one is the gut microbiome gets healthier, that feeds back to the brain. The other is the diet has an anti-inflammatory effect. Anti-inflammatory effect means your, jo your joints don't hurt um, or skin conditions get better, but it can also mean that your brain is responding better because we've learned a long time ago that inflammation affects the brain. So bottom line, uh, vegetables, fruits, beans, whole grains, getting away from the animal products can indeed help the mood. All right. So then on the flip side, her follow-up question is, are there foods then that make you depressed? And what happens then when you eat your feelings? You know, we turn to the cake, the ice cream, the high fat foods that are on our no-no list for a lot of people. So what happens to your mood when you eat those, Dr. Barnard? Yeah. Um, there's, we, we have found it's a very individualized effect. And there's some people who have a real problem with sugar in particular. Um, I'm talking about a person who says, um, okay, I'm, I'm going to indulge today. I'm going to have a big uh, sugary pie or a chocolate cake or something like that. And sometimes some people feel more or less okay afterwards, but for others, they find they're, they are moody and their moods are changeable and irritability comes up. And we believe that it is perhaps a sugar effect or an effect of sugar and fat combined. Here's why we say that. Um, sugar seems to affect the brain by increasing serotonin production. That's okay if you're about to go to sleep because it helps you to sleep. But if you are not, um, it seems to cause moodiness to, to, to get unleashed. And the sugar fat mixtures have almost a drug-like effect that you can actually measure in psychological studies, a little bit like a narcotic. So for some people, they do worse. And the last thing I'll say is that when people are on fatty diets, especially a meaty diet, uh, PMS gets worse. And we discovered this in the opposite direction. This is 20 years ago. We published in a journal called Obstetrics and Gynecology, a study where we were looking especially at menstrual pain, but we found that PMS, bloating, water retention, but also moodiness got better when people shifted toward a diet that was all plants and really low in fat. So put that to work, see if it helps. I always found in my previous life that when I was eating those types of foods, my mood would improve, but it was just a short-term gain. And then the crash on that was really substantial. And if I was having a bad day, I'd be right back in the doldrums in a hurry. And I actually found a little bit, just from my personal experience, can't speak for anybody else, that it was even harder then to climb out of that hole, maybe not just because of the, the issues you were just talking about, but then also the reality of you're kind of, especially if you're trying to improve your health and lose a little bit of weight, you, you're also compounding everything with that guilt then of having indulged in something that you ordinarily were trying to keep off of the plate. And Dr. Barnard, that also made it a little bit more difficult as well. You know, I, th I think you're right, Chuck. And then there's one other thing to add to it. Something, some people use the, the term borrowing. 
like you're borrowing a little bit of happiness. So I'm going to eat these really crummy foods. And let's say it does make me feel a little bit happy now. Well, I just borrowed a little happiness from later. Now, what you're really borrowing is dopamine. Your cells have a certain amount of dopamine in it. I'm going to release it all now. And then there isn't much left later. So I feel crummy. It's the same way when a person uh, drinks themselves into oblivion. Okay. You might feel happy for 45 minutes or something like that. But um, by and large, people who do that, their, their mood's not generally better um, over the long run compared to other people. All right, so the bottom line here is if you're having a bad day, reaching for that whole pint of ice cream, probably not the best idea, right? Let's do something healthier. Talk <laughs> with a friend, go for a walk, eat healthier things. Um, and what you'll find is that you've got a little dopamine still stored up to keep you on the straight and narrow and feeling good later yeah. on. All right, Dr. Cullimore, coming to you now, a lot of people in the morning, they say, well, look, I'm just not myself until I get that cup of coffee. And matter of fact, a lot of people also say, I'm feeling blue until I get that cup of black coffee. So the question then from LaBecca is, can coffee improve a person's mood? Yeah, there was um, an observational study uh, recently which showed that coffee actually reduced depression by about a third uh, overall. Um, so yeah, there is some evidence for that. Uh, and that's probably due to the antioxidants and the anti-inflammatory compounds found in coffee. Uh, potentially the caffeine and uh, that that's something that to be careful about because some people uh, have a different reaction to caffeine so if you find that caffeine makes you more anxious after you've had it um, then you need to be more careful um, but uh, but overall that we there are quite positive results for coffee do you know, uh, I hate to put you on the spot, but when you're talking about that anxious feeling, was this, uh, as you doctors would put it, a dose response? Say if somebody had like five cups of coffee, they get the jitters, they're feeling more anxious there. And then maybe somebody who's only had one cup of coffee feeling a little bit less anxious. Do you know if there was a dose response considered? Yeah, definitely. And it does also depend on how tolerant you are. If you're someone who drinks a lot of coffee normally, um, then you're probably going to have less of an effect. So yeah, it depends how much of a coffee drinker you are uh, normally. And back to what it was Dr. Barnard was talking about. If you're adding a lot of stuff to that coffee, it's not just a black cup of coffee. You're going to the line at Starbucks. You're getting that Frappuccino, that caramel macchiato, loading that up with a whole bunch of high fat cream and a ton of sugar. Probably not the best idea either, correct? No, you're exactly right there, Chuck. Yeah, the, the fat and the sugar that people add definitely are a negative. All right, let's stick with you here, Dr. Collimore, because uh, somebody told me that you know quite a bit about dairy, and that's good because our last episode was a gangbuster one. We had somebody write in and say, well, look, hey, I'm just not convinced that dairy is unhealthy. And her challenge then to Dr. Bronner was convince me. So we have a follow-up from that episode, and this is a question from Kimberly, Dr. Collimore. She's wondering, is organic pasture-raised raw milk a healthier option? She says, I'm sure most of these studies were done on people who can see, consume just standard pasteurized milk. Okay, yeah. Thanks, Chuck. And I listened to last week's uh, episode, Dr. Barnard, and uh, he made the excellent point that the major uh, contributor to calories in milk is the sugar, is the lactose. And that is still present, um, whether the milk is pasteurized or or organic and also the same with all the other negative compounds that are found in milk so the saturated fat 
the estrogens, uh, the IGF-1 compounds, which uh, is the likely cause of um, prostate cancer, which is much more likely with, with dairy products. So actually being organic or, or pasteurized really makes no difference at all um, to, to the, all those negative consequences of, of milk. Sounds very similar to the question somebody wrote in asking whether skim milk was a healthier option than whole milk. The answer that Dr. Barnard had for that person was very, very similar to what it was that you just gave here. And a follow-up to that for you, Dr. Collamore, maybe Dr. Barnard, if you would like to weigh in on this as well. This is a question from Maj wondering whether milk is good for menopausal women since it has estrogen in it. So there have been a, a few studies which have shown um, a positive effect uh, of cow's milk on menopausal symptoms. However, those studies were observational, which means there, there's lots of confounding other factors which could be the true reason, um, such as that uh, women who drink milk tend to be more health conscious or um, have a higher income. And they haven't done any studies that, which are randomised control trials, which are a better quality of evidence. And it's also just worth emphasizing again, all of the negative consequences of dairy products. So the, the cancer, the heart disease, Parkinson's disease, acne. So it's much safer to, to go for soy milk, for example, uh, which Dr. Barnard's study has shown with a whole food plant-based uh, diet, uh, reduces the symptoms of menopausal uh, of, of the menopause, but without any of those negative consequences of, of cow's milk. Dr. Barnard, is there anything you would like to add to that? I know you've done so many studies recently with uh, menopausal women. Yeah, it's, I have to say it's been a really wonderful experience. Um, we started these studies in um, the fall of 2020 uh, because we were looking at the effects of diet on menopausal symptoms, especially hot flashes, but also sexual symptoms and others. And the combination that we hit on did not have dairy in it at all. The, the thing that seemed to really work, by that I mean what really knocked down the hot flashes a lot was three things. Vegan diet, no animal products at all. Number two, keeping oils really low. So this was not a guacamole fest, you know, not lots of peanut butter and nuts. It was, it was vegan and low in fat. And the third thing was soybeans. We uh, asked the participants to have a half a cup of whole soybeans every day. And I described this in my book, Your Body in Balance, but we had time to do a couple of studies on this. And it is, we, we expected the effect to be kind of moderate, but the effect was profound for many of the women. Uh, and many of the women were just, they didn't have any more of the really bothersome hot flashes at all. And for others, they were just turned way, way down. And then when we looked at uh, sexual uh, effects, vaginal dryness and so forth, for many of the women that improved as well. And we were really quite struck because it's the effect is just the opposite of, well, let's say a person has some dairy and they think, well, it's got estrogen in it, maybe it should help me feel better. Um, but you end up not having good, you know, good effects on your body weight and, and your cholesterol might be worse and other things. When people go on the vegan diet, low fat plus soybeans, there was good weight loss, uh, better results all the way around, better health. And it's also just the opposite of the effects you get if you took um, uh, hormone replacement therapy where the, doc, the prescribing doctor has to say, well, it'll increase your risk of certain kinds of cancer, can increase the risk of blood clots, increase the risk of heart disease, maybe increase the risk of dementia. And you think, good grief, you know, if I can do this with diet, 
so much the better. So bottom line, uh, skip the milk. Skip. There's a much better approach and what we described is the way to go. And Dr. Barnard, I, I want to stick with you here. So let's, uh, we're talking menopause now, but let's shift to earlier in the fertility spectrum, talk a little bit about pregnancy. We have a question from Meg and Meg is wondering whether the mechanism for gestational diabetes is the same for regular diabetes. A uh, great question, because this is a, a, a big issue and, and it's growing fast. Uh, gestational diabetes, what that means is you didn't have diabetes going into pregnancy. You're partway through, the doctor does a blood test and says, sorry, your blood sugar is really high. This is gestational diabetes. This is gonna affect you. It's gonna affect your baby. We gotta treat this. Um, what kicks this off is insulin resistance. That means that your, your, your pancreas still is making insulin and the insulin's job is to get the sugar into your cells. That's all still true. But for some reason, your muscle cells and your liver cells aren't responding to that insulin. That's insulin resistance. And to answer your question, yes, this is the same thing that kicks off type two diabetes, which is the real common form of that disease. And in fact, after you give birth, the gestational diabetes usually resolves, but it is a sign not only that you're gonna get diabetes again during your next pregnancy, but you're probably headed for type two diabetes overall. So what do you do? Well, you kind of do what we were describing for menopause, vegan diet, really low fat. 20 years ago, we did a study in people with type two diabetes and showed that just those things, plant-based diet, getting the oils really low, it counters that insulin resistance makes your insulin work again, gets your blood sugars down, plus all the other benefits. Helps you lose weight, helps keep your cholesterol down too. So so yes, uh, similar mechanism and it's something you, you definitely wanna take seriously. Follow up question now from Meg really quickly. Is an A1C of 4.5 high for someone who's eating a whole food plant-based diet, Dr. Barnard? No, that is a great A1C. Um, you can go up to, you can go all the way up towards 5.6, 5.7. You know, if you're if you're at five point six, you're in the normal range. So so four and a half, that's great. You could sell that A one C on eBay. People would like to have that one. Doc, <laughs> call me off guard with that one. Okay, I wonder what you would get. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, okay, uh, Doctor Cullimore, your turn on the hot seat. Take a question now from Gretchen. Uh, two parter. She's wondering one, what is TMAO, and two, what could cause someone's level to be elevated if they're eating a whole food plant based diet. Yeah, so TMAO is one of the compounds that we've realized in recent years is, is responsible for heart disease. So we've known for a long time that vegans have a much lower uh, risk of heart disease. And uh, we we've, we've thought that's due to the saturated fat. And that is definitely a, a large part of it. But we've realized there are other things going on as well. Uh, and that includes this, this compound called TMAO. And that's caused by compounds usually from animal products, so meat, dairy, eggs, fish, uh, that gets um, metabolized by the microbiome, which is the good bacteria in your intestines. And it, it produces this compound, um, which causes furring of the arteries and, and puts you at much higher risk of heart disease. So as I mentioned, it mo mostly comes from compounds like choline, carnitine, which come from animal products. It is worth checking um, that you're not having any energy drinks because they often contain carnitine. And other things, um, it's worth getting your liver and 
kidney function checked because that can cause higher levels as well. But uh, if you cut out animal products, that should should uh, drastically reduce your levels for most people. Uh, when you're talking about energy drinks, are you speaking about something like a Gatorade or maybe a Monster Energy or a Red Bull? Things like the, the Monster drinks, yeah, they contain carnitine, which can be a vegan version. Uh, so it may say it's vegan, but it's just worth checking that. Right, let's stick with you. Let's stick with you here, Dr. Collimore. Take a question now from Sarah. Uh, she says, uh, this is kind of a long-winded one, but I think it's a good one. Uh, my mom has been plant-based for about six months, and she recently got lab work done, and she was disappointed to see her cholesterol was 30 points higher. She says she mainly eats whole food plant-based with the occasional vegan junk food. What could cause cholesterol to go up on a plant-based diet? Okay, I mean, that's a good question because the evidence does show that vegans generally have much lower cholesterol levels. Um, she said that she has a healthy diet. It is just worth checking she's not having uh, processed burgers like Impossible or Beyond because they are high in saturated fat from coconut oil. Other things to check are um, that she's not drinking too much alcohol, smoking, that she's doing some exercise. Uh, other conditions like the, the menopause can cause cholesterol levels to go up as well. So it is, it's definitely worth her speaking to her doctor to rule out other medical conditions that could be um, contributing to that. Sometimes some genetic effects as well. Um, but yeah, if, if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, um, high in fiber, legumes, fruit and veg, for, for most people that will bring it down. So it, I, I would encourage her to speak to her healthcare provider. And and Dr. Barnard, what is the percentage of the population who would be um, genetically predisposed to having higher cholesterol? Um, maybe one in 10, something like that. Uh, I really got it from their parents. But I think that Dr. Cullimore said something really, really important that I don't want people to miss. He said, look at, look at the coconut oil, look at the palm oil. You know, years ago, people didn't use these fats very much. You got a jar of peanut butter, what was in it? Peanut butter. Um, but nowadays, they are mixing in some palm oil. You know, look at the labels, you'll see what I'm talking about. Coconut oil is, is used in lots of things, and they advertise it as natural might even be organic or whatever, but you know what it is? It's loaded with saturated fat, unlike just about every other vegetable oil. Coconut oil and palm oil have a lot of saturated fat, and that's going to raise your cholesterol level. So um, avoid those. And cholesterol levels typically typically going to fall, and, and fall a lot when people go from an omnivorous diet to a vegan diet. Let's shift from uh, one plant-based phenomenon to another, Dr. Barnard. Sticking with you, a question from Kaki here. What should you do? when your blood test shows low white blood cells? Happens all the time. Um, and it's, well, first of all, um, do talk to your doctor. And if it's low, but generally within the, the normal range or maybe around the bottom of the normal range, um, most doctors will say, well, this is probably okay. A lot of people, when they got in, get on a healthier diet, their white blood cell count goes down a little bit. And think of it this way. What are white blood cells? They're your soldiers. They're, they're in your bloodstream. And unlike the red cells, whose job it is to transport oxygen, the white cells are your soldiers. They're looking for a virus. They're looking for a bacterium and they're gonna attack it. They make antibodies. That's their whole thing. So if you're on a healthier diet and you're not taking in so many 
toxic proteins, dairy protein, and that kind of stuff, um, your white blood cells may well drop. And your doctor can interpret um, if you're still in the normal range or if there's if there is some kind of problem going on, which is um, less likely. Dr. Calamore, over to you. Are, are you big into fasting? Do you fast yourself? Um, I have done periods of that in the past, yeah. Okay, well, we have a question here from Steph. She could rely on your expertise with this. Steph is wondering, what is the healthiest way to fast? Yeah, so it is a really interesting um, area of research. It's still um, an emerging area of, of evidence. Um, Dr. Hannah Kaliova at the Physicians Committee has done a lot of work on this. Um, so yeah, there is um, some reasonable evidence actually that intermittent fasting can help you to lose weight and improve your um, metabolic uh, figures like your cholesterol, um, your blood pressure, your blood sugar control. So really the, the best way of doing that is to have an eight hour window um, every day where you, you eat all of your calories and it's better for that to be earlier in the day so that you're you're not eating later afternoon and in the evening and uh, yeah there is there is some some evidence uh, showing that that will uh, help you to to lose weight and and drop your cholesterol i believe that this is the 318th episode of the exam room that will be released and dr barnard this is the very first time in all 318 episodes that we have ever gotten this question. I don't know how this one has escaped until now. Very interesting one from Lee, who says that she and her husband have been eating a healthy plant-based diet now for two years. They feel absolutely fantastic, but Dr. Barnard Lee says that one thing she has noticed is that she sneezes a lot more since changing her diet. So she's wondering whether being vegan makes your nasal passages more sensitive to things as you're breathing in. She's read my new book, 300 Recipes Made with Black Pepper. So, <laughs> well, for, first of all, Chuck, 318 uh, episodes, that's great. You should be complimented. And no, I, I, I'm, I'm kidding about the black pepper. Um, uh, obviously, when one sneezes, this is the body's rather crude effort to get rid of something that you've inhaled. So if you inhaled some black pepper or pollen or anything else, you're sneezing is just a way to get rid of it. Um, and so the question is somehow now that I'm vegan, am I more sensitive and am I I'm sneezing more uh, frequently because uh, my nose is detecting invaders sooner? That's a new one on me. Okay, let's take a question from Doka. Uh, also wondering about oxygen here, somewhat related, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Doka's question, Dr. Barnard, is it possible that eating a whole food plant-based diet enhances the oxygen saturation in a person's blood? We've looked at this and related questions for athletes because think about it. When you, you, you've got exercising muscle and as let's say you're you're running or you're just going upstairs or whatever you start breathing harder what your lungs are pulling the oxygen out of the air and your lungs are putting it into your bloodstream why to get it to your muscles because they need it they are using it they're using it a lot so you need good oxygenation of your blood in order to oxygenate the muscles so that they can continue to work what gets in the way what gets in, in, in the way is Velveeta and all, all kinds of fatty foods. If you eat fatty stuff, it, it makes your blood more viscous, more thick, uh, more like oil, less like water. And so it doesn't flow as well and your oxygenation goes down. And this is why a lot of people are getting away from all the fatty foods. This is why people go to a vegan diet when, they have an, when they're in an endurance sport. So 
if you want to improve the oxygenation of your blood, but more importantly, the oxygenation of your tissues, you want to get on as clean and low viscous a diet as you can. So that means vegan, no animal products. I mean, cheese, 70% fat. That's just asking for viscous blood and reduced athletic performance. So get away from the animal products, keep oily foods to a bare minimum, and your oxygenation and your athletic performance is likely going to be a whole lot better. Gentlemen, we are covering a lot of different ground today. I love these live shows. We get questions about so many different things that literally everybody is going to key in on something that applies to them. So this is so cool. Uh, Dr. Cullimore, let's go to you here. Hopefully you can help out Tara Ray. Tara Ray's question is, when I don't consume oil, I always lose too much weight. She's wondering what she can do differently. Okay. Oh, she's got uh, the opposite problem to, to most people. Um, but um, yeah, for, for people who are, are struggling to put on weight, there are plant-based foods which are higher in calories. So um, soya products and tofu have more calories than the most legumes. So I would try and focus on those uh, in terms of carbohydrates or grains. Uh, quinoa is, is a bit higher in calories. And, and then you've got nuts, nut butters, uh, avocados are higher in fats. So you, you don't want to go too crazy with those. Um, but if losing weight is an issue, she could, uh, she could eat some more of those. And that should uh, sort the problem out. And let's stick with you. We've gotten this question from Nora in the past, a similar question anyway, but it's definitely one worth revisiting. Nora is wondering whether eating unhealthy food can really just kind of erase the effects of an otherwise healthy diet. For example, she says, will drinking a soda wash out all of the health benefits of eating the salad with it? So unhealthy foods, animal products, sugar, uh, processed foods, we, we know now that they're really not good for the, the microbiome, the healthy bacteria. And that healthy bacteria are so important for, for everything in our, in our health, we're realizing now. And having lots of fiber, whole food, plant-based diet is, is really positive. So they, you, will, you will just be counteracting the benefits of, of the healthy foods with with those processed or, or foods that are high in animal products. So yeah, try and try and keep the unhealthy foods to a, a minimum. Dr. Bronner, we were talking about sugar a little bit earlier in the show, but added sugar, refined sugar. But Samantha is wondering more about natural sugars, specifically from dried fruit. She's wondering, is too much dried fruit, is too much dried fruit, I should say, an issue? You know, your body evolved to use sugar. That's your body's favorite fuel and that's normal and it's good. So your body will take glucose out of fruit, whether it's fresh fruit or dried fruit, and it goes into the blood and it goes into your muscle cells and gives you energy, goes to your brain and powers all your brain functions. So sugar is not a bad thing, sugar is a good thing. And your body also has appetite control so that when you've had enough, your body says, all right, stop. If you, so if you're having fruit, whether it's dried or fresh, I would not worry about it. I think it's perfectly fine. Unless if, if you feel for whatever reason you are binging and, and this is an emotional thing where you're eating a huge amount, which is frankly really pretty rare with dried fruit. Um, in that unusual circumstance, I would take it more seriously. But otherwise, no, the, that natural glucose is a fine thing. 
All right, uh, let's take a question from an exam roomie on Instagram. Sent this to me at Chuck Carroll WLC. Uh, Dr. Barnard, they say, uh, I've been vegan for a year and recently began losing my hair. What should I be eating? Is there a supplement I should be taking? Okay, um, we don't hear this very much, but I've heard it maybe maybe once every four or five years I, I, hear, I hear that. And uh, a couple things should be said. Uh, first of all, hair loss does happen. Um, in men in particular, can happen in women as well um, on a genetic basis as time goes by. Um, although when you look at large populations, it actually tends to happen less often when people are on plant-based diets. I know that sounds funny, but the reason I'm saying that is that dermatologists in Japan, as the J Japanese diet was westernizing and they were noticing uh, more obesity, more diabetes, more heart disease, the dermatologists were reporting more hair loss as uh, the diet was westernizing and the thought was that somehow the testosterone is affecting the hair follicles in an adverse way. Okay, but let's, let's say none of that is you. Let's say your problem is just over the short run, you're having this funny kind of hair loss. Um, two things to think about. One is uh, hormonal shifts can cause hair loss. You see this with pregnancy. You know what I'm talking about? Where a woman um, has gone through pregnancy and whatever, and she's noticing now um, some hair loss, which is temporary. That's uh, just a hormonal shift. It's temporary. It's going to go away. And when people make a diet change, you can sometimes see hormonal shifts that are usually positive and helpful and, are, um, and your body will readjust. The other thing, though, is I have seen maybe three, two or three cases in 30 years of people who were having a little bit of hair loss, which you normally don't see, but they did see it. And they found that just adding a little more plant protein seemed to knock it out. What am I talking about? Tofu, uh, tempeh, beans, um, any, any kind of really high protein food. They were just having a diet that was really just not really uh, uh, sufficient for them and adding more protein seemed to knock it out. All right. And uh, we have time here for a couple of more questions. So go ahead, keep on posting them in the comments or in the chat. I promise we're going to get to as many as we can with the time we have remaining. But uh, next up, Dr. Cullimore is a question from Danielle. Danielle is wondering how important is it to buy organic legumes to avoid glyphosate? So glyphosate is a uh, herbicide, which has become increasingly common um, over the last few decades. In fact, it's uh, increased, I, I believe, 15-fold or even more since um, uh, genetically modified crops have been used more commonly. So, so it is an issue. And in the US, the, the, the level that is deemed safe is, is higher than in Europe. Um, so, and, and the World Health Organization has um, said it is a probable carcinogen, so it probably does cause cancer. So I would suggest to try and go for organic foods as much as you can, um, depending on your bu budget and you know how easy that is for you. And it isn't just uh, legumes, it, it can be other crops as well. Um, so, and, and also organic foods, they, they can still have small amounts of glyphosate, um, but it's usually much lower levels. Um, there was a study uh, a couple of years ago that showed glyphosate was in um, basically all children's breakfast cereal. Um, so yeah, it, it is a concern and um, I would try and go organic if you can. 
That said, though, for people who are on a tighter budget, what would your message to them be if they can't afford to buy organic? Is it still okay to go ahead and buy the conventional produce? It is because the the health benefits of fruit and vegetables are um, extremely strong and will outweigh um, the, the the potential risk from the glyphosate. So it is, yeah, it's really important to make sure you eat fruit and vegetables and fiber. Um, and yeah, just a, a bonus if you can uh, avoid the, the pesticides. All right. And uh, along those same lines, Dr. Collimore, your final question today comes from Diane, who is wondering whether using a nonstick spray like Pam is okay. She says the label says that there are zero calories in there, but is there still some bad stuff? So um, Pam is a, a, a spray with uh, very small amounts of oil. Um, and there are many different brands available. Um, so, yes, it's obviously better to use that than any animal um, uh, sources of fats like butter or lard. However, it, it is still uh, an oil which has um, is unnecessary, has uh, unnecessary uh, effects on the body. It's a processed food. It has other additives like emulsifiers in there. So it's a better option just to uh, to avoid it altogether and uh, fry your fruit and vegetables in uh, water if you can. Um, it, it can take a uh, you know a bit of getting used to, to water frying, but once you've got the hang of it, actually you really don't notice the difference, and it is the healthiest option altogether. Quite easy, actually. Uh, it was uh, Dr. Dr. Jim Loomis, our colleague, who turned me on to the whole idea of, of water frying or water sauteing, as, as I will call it. Um, really a lot easier when you get the hang of it than, than you would think. Um, and so, Dr. Bernard, two quick final questions for you. The first one comes to us from Gail, who is wondering whether there's any data on diet and restless leg syndrome. Ah, okay. Uh, restless leg syndrome, not very common. Um, but a really an annoying thing if it's if it's hit you, you have this tremendous impulse. To, you, you can't be still, and this tremendous uh, need to move your legs, as the as the syndrome is called. And yeah, the, the dietary research is not anywhere near done or even clear. But but there have been some inklings in certain direction. Number one, iron rich foods. That's good. And I'm not talking about liver. I'm talking about green leafy vegetables, also beans, uh, potassium rich foods. And you know about this already, uh, bananas, fruits and vegetables in general have the potassium you need. Also, uh, folate. Folate is a B vitamin famous uh, because pregnant women will take it as a supplement to protect the baby. But folate is in foods that have foliage, um, green leafy vegetables, again, um, so yeah, green leafy vegetables, um, plant-based diet in general, some suggestion that avoiding caffeine, avoiding alcohol might help as well. All right. And the last one comes to us from Hoa wondering if sodium levels are low, Dr. Barnard, but the blood pressure is high. Should someone still add salt to their diet, even if they're still on medication? Okay, if you're on medication to get your blood pressure down, your blood pressure is not where it needs to be. First of all, blood pressure is dangerous. Stick with your doctor, follow your doctor's advice. If you need medicine, take it. Um, but controlling salt is just one part of getting your blood pressure down and not the most powerful part. So no, I wouldn't add sodium. Um, there's there's no value to, that, to doing that. Um, if you have 
traces of sodium, it's okay. But I wouldn't push it up just because your sodium levels came back low on your on your test. Don't do that. Um, in a, but, but what I would add to this, if you're not doing this already, get away from animal products and keep oils really low, especially the coconut oil, the palm oil that Dr. Colomar was talking about a little bit ago. Those increase blood viscosity, as I was saying earlier, blood thickness, that makes your blood pressure go up. So years ago, decades ago, the DASH trial, Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension said, here's people with high blood pressure. Let's get the sodium out. Yeah, sure. But do two things. Reduce the meat and fat, increase the vegetables and fruits. And what happened? Blood pressure dropped within two weeks. So that's the trend. Boost your plant-based foods, get away from the animal products, and even within the plant-based world, get away from the coconut oil, palm oil, your blood pressure is probably going to come down. Stick with your doctor because you might eat. Rarely people need additional treatment. It's important to take advantage of that. Thank you so very much to all of the exam roomies who sent in questions for today's show or joined us live. You know, if you do nothing else next Wednesday, join us for the exam room live. We start everything at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. We would love to get your question answered right then and right there. But if you can't join us live, this schedule just doesn't permit, no worries. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. Send me your question there and I will do my absolute best to get you an answer on an upcoming show. And speaking of upcoming shows, our good friend Dr. Will Bolsowitz will be on the next episode of The Exam Room Live. Always super popular when he comes on. So if you have a gut health question on your mind, Probably not the worst idea to go ahead and send it to me early. Again, at Chuck Carroll WLC on Twitter and on Instagram. And it's been an interesting month for Dr. B. If you've been following him on Instagram, you know what we're talking about here. Important updates from the Gut Health MD and your questions answered next Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We would love to see you there. And one of the things that I love most about working in the health arena is that there is a non-stop torrent of research. We are always learning here. And this particular study crossed my desk and it made me think about all of the shows that we've done with athletes. And today, there is even more evidence that muscles can give a big boost to your health. But those muscles they don't have to be tight in size either to get the benefits. Let's get the scoop from the exam room news desk. Eat well, train well, work those muscles. A new meta-analysis finds adding 30 to 60 minutes of strength training a week can lower your risk of dying from the leading causes of death by up to 20%. The benefits extend to cardiovascular disease, cancer, and all causes. But for the biggest benefit, researchers say to combine aerobic and strength training exercises. Doing so reduces the risk of dying from cancer by 28%, all-cause mortality by 40%, and cardiovascular disease by an astonishing 46%. The analysis examines data from 16 previous studies totaling hundreds of thousands of participants ranging in ages from 18 
all the way to 97. The results are published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. You can find a link right now to that study in the episode notes. And here's something interesting to keep in mind if you have a little bit of a phobia when it comes to the gym. The study does not prove conclusively that there is any benefit to doing more than 60 minutes a week of strength training. So you break that one hour up over a couple of days and you're in really good shape here. And it doesn't necessarily even have to mean that you're lifting weights either. The study finds that push-ups and sit-ups and even doing something like heavy gardening where you need to use a shovel, that all counts. So when you think about those gains, it doesn't even include diet, right? We haven't even factored food into the equation yet. And we know that perhaps the biggest gains of all do come from food. Making healthier choices for breakfast and lunch and dinner, that can make all the difference in the world, whether it's heart disease or cancer or diabetes or Alzheimer's. Really, any chronic disease that runs in your family, you have the power to break that unhealthy cycle. Your parents' fate, your grandparents' fate does not have to be your fate. You can carve your own path and a little strength training can be the cherry on top of a long and healthy life. Can't wrap things up today without saying thank you one more time to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for making this episode of The Exam Room possible. Their support of The Exam Room Live and the Physicians Committee is truly helping to raise our health IQs all together and all around the world. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Drs. Barnard and Cullimore for being here and raising our health IQs. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.